0: Welcome to part one of the Cedar Better Conflicts podcast with this week's guest, Deidre Knox. Deidre is Head of Employment and Compliance at King, a leading interactive entertainment company probably best known for its game franchise Candy Crush. Deidre is also a Cedar accredited mediator and in this podcast we will be discussing how becoming a mediator has helped her face the challenges and opportunities of her role as an in-house employment lawyer.
1: Ultimately, I'm a lawyer, um, I specialize in employment law and have done for the last number of years and originally I, I did work uh, in private practice and uh, did quite a lot of litigation um, and for the last probably about 12 years I've been in So. In my view, the role of an in-house lawyer, especially an in-house employment lawyer, um, has its own unique challenges and is, is somewhat different to what you would do in practice. Um, so it's it's sort of less about the law day to day, even though you have to understand and apply the framework of the law, but there's, there's a lot of understanding human interactions um, applying that to the business needs. So it's very much a sort of a, a people role, very much um, a negotiation, a bargaining, a, 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 a being a pacifier as well as an advisor and a facilitator, I suppose. So um, to me, what I've learned and what I, and the, the um, not only the experience, but the confidence that, that the trainings and mediation has given have been extremely useful. Um, and we can go on and discuss, I mean, I can give you lots of examples on that, but certainly it's something that I that I find um, really sort of underpins and gives a fundamental basis for, for what I do every day.
0: Yeah. So maybe if we go, go back a little bit, what was it that, that made you decide um, to train to be a mediator?
1: Well, originally when I uh, was working as a litigator and and working in private practice, I participated in quite a lot of mediations and um, alternative dispute resolution was sort of the buzzword at the time when I was qualifying. Um, And I did find it both extremely useful, extremely interesting and in fact quite challenging. Um, and I always had that curiosity for it. And I've, I was involved in some that were, were really wonderful, some that were just cringeworthy um, <laughs> and very frustrating. And I was involved in some that actually ended up blowing up in, my, in our faces afterwards. Um, and those weren't all employment. Some of them were commercial-based. Some, well, there was one particular crazy one about families um, arguing over a will. Um, and the funny one about that was that we we came to an agreement, and in the end, all parties got together by basically turning on on their lawyers and the mediator yes. <laughs> and trying to unpick it all up, there. so they finally found one thing in common um so I, I i always had that 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 interest in it and i I really really enjoyed it um and I saw how it could work really well, and obviously how it could work really badly um and when I got the opportunity, it was something I always had in mind and I had actually looked around and um, I know there are a number of different providers that that do mediation and over the years I had looked at it, I had got to know um, a number of mediators. Um, so when I got the opportunity, you know, the time was right. Yeah. Probably, yeah, a bit late, but I'm very very glad I did it finally.
0: Yeah, and no, you know, people train to be a mediator for a variety of reasons. The most obvious one being to actually practice as a mediator, but... In your role, how do you find that you've used the things that you've learned as a mediator? I mean, do you, you know, is, it, is, it, is it the development of soft skills or is it also the ability to mediate informally within your organization or better help with negotiations or discussions you're having with people?
1: Well, I will admit that when I, when I used to consider be, uh, training as a mediator and when I actually did train as a mediator, it was with a view to having that skill and that qualification. Mm-hmm that I I was thinking, well, ultimately may give me another pathway um, and one that I'd be very interested in. Mm-hmm. But it was actually only when I was training and when I had actually done the training and was applying it and realised how useful it is every day, that I, I haven't actually taken any further steps to, you know, maybe I will in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly has crystallised um, and I think reinforced and, and certainly added to what I what I would do every day. Um, it it's made me also realise the value of certain parts of what I was doing, mm-hmm. but not really realizing why I was doing and what the value was um, mm-hmm. in doing that. And I suppose you asking me some you know questions and speaking to to Cedar and, and other mediators so for, since I did qualify has made me actually realise how, you know, sometimes you do you do parts of your job without realizing why or what you're doing it. And when you stop to think about it, you can actually refine those skills a bit
0: more. No, exactly. And, that, and that's what we find with, with a lot of people who do these training is, is they actually come having a very, very good skill set, either inherent or, or things that they've built up over the years. But it's only when they do the training that they realize why they're good at it or, you know, when they're actually applying a particular skill. And, and that just gives them more confidence to be able to use the skill and also to apply it perhaps um, in situations that they weren't able to before. Absolutely,
1: and sometimes you know, I mean, especially as lawyers, we all sort of gradually learn, and maybe learn from other lawyers how to do certain things. You, you take part in negotiations, or that, you know, you're, you're giving advice, and you sort of you sort of learn it without realizing you're learning it. But what I found was in the training, it was fascinating to see and, and to listen to and learn from actually people that were doing this professionally, that were breaking down the parts of of why they were doing it, looking at different part, ways to do it. Um, and listening to their experience, you just suddenly realize, oh gosh, yeah, you know, there, there's a reason to all this, other people are doing it. And actually I'm, I might be quite good at this or I can certainly improve on this or learn how to do this. And I think that's really when I, I know I said originally, you it know, gives you the confidence. It certainly has given me the confidence to do it. Because when you do something in, in a silo um, without understanding why you're doing it, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as easy to, to have confidence in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure, and it's also having the, the sort of freedom to be able to practice those skills. Maybe get it wrong the first time, but get a bit of feedback and live coaching to help you sort of rethink. Well, why did I do that, and how could I do it better? It's like any kind of learning or, or training, I suppose. and 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 some you know it just happens to be in quite a human skill set as well. And something that we that we've been doing all our lives, but maybe haven't thought. Well, actually, I need you know some specific training in that. Like. you know if you're training to be good in a particular sport you have a coach you invest a lot of time and effort and you know into into being better at it so why not with the skills that we um use and and need every day like communication empathy collaboration communication all all these types of things
1: for sure um i and i think you know when you apply this to the workplace, when you stop to think about what goes on in the workplace, it makes a lot of sense to have those those skills. Because um, let's face it, we probably—well, maybe not at the moment with COVID going on—but we probably spend more time with our colleagues and in work than we do with our families or with our friends. Um, and without knowing it, I think people can can get into a stage where you know human nature takes over. Small things niggle. And people can end up taking things personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the workplace, having those soft skills, um, and this goes back to your original question about how I apply this as a lawyer, you know, very often it's not about saying this is strictly the law. It's about trying to find a middle ground between people for the craziest of, of reasons. And I'm sure any other lawyer listening to this would agree with me that sometimes you actually think you want the movie rights to the situation yeah. you're dealing with. You sort of yeah. couldn't make it up. And it's something that starts off as being very trivial, but it ends up being extremely important to the people that are involved. And that can go quite right, right across across a business from the lowest level right up to the board you know it's it it is human nature and people take things personally so actually being able to navigate that without obviously navigating you know you're not going to say to everybody all the time right sit down in this room and we're going to mediate you know you're going to be applying those skills right across the board
0: yeah and it was really interesting what what you said earlier on is you know part of your role of Head of Employment and Compliance. You are very conscious of the legal aspects that are involved, but ultimately, you, you recognize that you know these are human beings you deal with, and there's a lot of human needs at play. And it's really important, almost maybe more important, to to um, to sort of pick stock of those and appreciate those and understand how they fit into any potential problem, but also also solution.
1: Well, for me currently, actually, funnily enough, you know, being the, the employment lawyer, looking after employment law and looking after compliance actually can be in conflict yes. um, so sometimes I have to give myself a good talking to and, and and think you know okay which which takes priority here because from a certainly from a corporate compliance perspective you have certain rules and certain absolutes and certain things, but then also y- you've got the human nature and the employment law and you've and you've got, you've got to go through certain processes and you've got to make allowances for people so there is that <laughs> there is that dichotomy as well um, But um, having the empathy, having the soft skills, it's just, especially when you're in a business and dealing with people all the time, um, dealing with the same people all the time, um, it's really crucial.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of looking at maybe, uh, you know, examples, maybe maybe more generally, but what what is the sort of cost of getting these types of things wrong when you're um, working with employees or there's issues to be dealt with and they're not handled? In a, in a very sensitive way, or in a way that you know takes into, a, as you said, the sort of human side to the issue.
1: So the the costs are multiple, um, and and, in, and there's many types. It's not just the cost of losing a tribunal, an uh, employment law case. Mm-hmm. Um, or, in fact, you can, you can translate to losing any sort of litigation. It's not just the cost, not only of, of what you end up paying and the cost of, the cost your, legal, of your legal fees and the costs of having everyone out of the office and, in, and involved in, in planning and working and so forth and the negative PR that you might have in that. You've also got the costs of, of rehiring, the costs you've wasted in, in training somebody, paying to hire them, onboarding them, and the skill set you're going to lose. Um, if somebody does leave, um, the fact that that invariably is, is going to spread messages. We've probably always all, all seen the negative things on the, on um, those website called Glassdoor where, where people normally aggrieved people post things, um, probably well, don't always post the nice things, so we'll post <laughs> yes. the negative things. Yes. Um, so so you've got all of that you're going to and, and, and you know certainly in a, you know I work in a tech industry and we we of course compete to find, to hire. I mean that that you know if a company's doing well you are always competing especially in, in tech. Um, so you've got all of that waste of chance. Um, and honestly, you know when you, you hire someone because they've got great skills and, and they've got great potential and I think you probably have to take some responsibility if that's not working out. Um, so yeah, the, co- the cost is is, is 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 a multitude of costs,
0: yeah. and not just. And, you, and do you think that employees didn't they take comfort knowing in the fact that if there is an issue, there's there's is a proper avenue for it to be dealt with? You know, they've got somebody who can talk to them, or the company is 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 willing to sort of deal with it in maybe a more in a human way. That's gonna that's gonna that's gonna help them out.
1: I, where I have found, I mean, I, I think if, if it's really true that, that employees know and understand that that's going to happen, yes, mm-hmm. it is, isn't it? But it's not just the employees. It's you know, You're know you dealing with managers, leaders, the HR team, the legal team. I mean, every, it, it goes to the core of your culture mm-hmm. um, and how you deal things. How do you get that message out, though? How do employees actually know that that's, that is mm-hmm. the case? Um, And that's, I suppose, for me, that's where my um, compliance hat comes in because, of course, with the compliance part, we're always sending out that message. We're always doing training. Um, On the compliance side, I've developed some training courses that I do and and roll out right across um, across the business and that's uh, across jurisdictions and in, in, in the countries we operate in. Um, so we're constantly sending that message out that, you know, to speak up, um, who can you speak to, if you know, the, and, and there's, a, there's a list of people that you can speak to. And that's not just about whistleblowing or or for corporate governance complaints. It's it's also about, you know, being able to talk to somebody that, that may help it's not just enough to have a hotline and have people talk to somebody that can help. If there isn't something backing that up and when they do raise an issue, they actually can get help with those processes or, or systems in place that, that can deal with that.
0: How have you found that you've been able to use your mediation skills to, to apply to situations or with people external to the organisation, not just internally?
1: So that that has proven to be extremely Uh, useful as well. So, you know, in the ordinary course of events, I would often have to we talk, or, or negotiate, or discuss with um, someone's external with lawyers. So someone gets another lawyer. So you'd have the other side that you you um you talk to. And you know anyone listening to this that's already a lawyer would say, well, yes, of course that's that's what we do we do all the time. Um, and and that's quite right. But there are there are certain ways you can do that because we all know you know you get lawyers on the other side who can be hostile themselves, mm-hmm. or maybe have something to prove, who who are on a mission. So, there is quite a skill in, in actually just you know, listening to what, what they're trying to get to or getting to the point. Um, another example I could give is, I don't, maybe not everybody does this, but um, in some of the cross-border work in some of, the, some of the other countries that we're based in, we have um, works councils, we have trade unions, um, and in some countries we're obliged to negotiate with trade unions. Um, and that, that again is a really important skill. It's, it's, it's really important to be able to deal with that on a human level mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily the way that those unions or works councils are used to being treated. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, it, it's quite surprising. They expect you to come in being hostile. They expect you to put up a difficult fight. Um, and, and to have this sort of, almost this merry dance. Um, and I just find that so, I, I found that to be so unhelpful. And what I did find is to approach union negotiation the same way as you would any sort of mediation or any sorts of other, other, um, of the negotiation, whereas you've got that human element. You've got people trying to do their job. They're coming in the the you know the door too, okay. um, probably nervous, probably with their own agenda, probably having to put their own position and not knowing what they're going to do, um, or how they're going to fare. Um, and again, it's that listening, it's that trying to build that rapport. I, it makes such a difference. Um, and without going into too much detail of, of any of the specific cases that I've done, what has been an absolute revelation is how shocked some of the union negotiators are when you actually take the time to treat them as people. Mm-hmm. I mean, to give one example, you know, to actually order sandwiches and and, and for lunch rather than just yeah. leaving them to their own devices. You know, to shake hands, to to welcome them, to you know, agree to some of their perfectly reasonable requests, mm-hmm. um, and not just argue for the sake of it. You know, just getting that rapport. Um, and actually something to think about that. And then listening to why, or try, actually, the, it's very useful to try and find out, because sometimes when you're doing these, these negotiations, they come at you with a sudden request, which sounds really, like, really weird, or why mm-hmm. you, you're just trying to make an argument or something else. But actually, when you dig deep, they have a very solid reason for, for doing that. Um, and I remember- trying to understand it. Yeah. Um, I remember one, one negotiation we were doing, they suddenly came up with this request about one, partic- one particular employee, it was like, we were just signing the papers, so they came back and said, oh no, no, we have to do that. And then because it built up that report and because we were able to say, okay, what's going on here? They said, well, actually, well, actually, it turns out it turns out her uncle is a very important lawyer and we have to... Do-. Go, okay, okay, let's, make, let's give you that, let's just do that for that, and they go, oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and we just okay it took five minutes right whereas that could have actually blown the whole derailed it yeah but
0: like you said because because you had that rapport you were able to kind of push back a little bit and challenge and say look what's going on here and then they felt comfortable enough to actually be honest with you and say what was really going on
1: yeah yeah made a difference